Well, good morning, everybody. I want to add my welcome to that which has already been extended. Uh, what a privilege we have to worship together. Whether you're here with me in the Ward Church Sanctuary or gathered online, uh, welcome to you this morning. I hope, hope you're having a terrific summer. Um, I think it's great that this morning we have people joining us online from their cottage in northern Michigan, and we have folks joining us from a campground uh, this morning. As my family and I did last Sunday, we worshiped at Ward Church from Ludington, Michigan, one of our favorite cities along the shores of Lake Michigan. So grateful for this technology. We also have people joining us today from Phoenix, Arizona, where the forecast for today is 108 degrees. Yeah, say yes to Michigan. <laughs> Our scripture reading today comes from Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. Paul wrote this letter to real people who were part of a real church. Uh, it was an imperfect church, of course. And in fact, Paul writes this letter to address some of the problems they have in this church and to answer some questions that they had asked him uh, and to help them be the body of Christ in their time and place. And the passage we're going to read today from this letter is chapter 12, very familiar to many of you. And as is our custom, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? And if you're online in a, a place where you can do so, I'll invite you to stand as well. Uh, make the people at the campground wonder what you're up to. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters... I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Friends, this is not just an ancient letter for an ancient time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, in our Sunday morning uh, sermon series, we've been exploring how to be on mission with Jesus, how to partner with Jesus in his work in this world to renew, restore, and redeem all things. And while some of us are called to relocate to a foreign land to represent Jesus, some people do have a missional, a missionary call to a foreign land, uh, but most of us are to represent Jesus in the places we live, work, and play. And over the course of this summer, we have looked specifically about how to be on mission with Jesus, on location 
on location. We've looked at on location in your neighborhood to your neighbors. That was week one. We looked at on mission in your work or school. That was week two. Uh, last week, we looked at how to be on mission with Jesus in your city. And today, we're looking at in your church. Uh, we are to serve not just our neighbors and our work colleagues and our classmates and our city. We are to serve one another inside the church as brothers and sisters as the body of Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to an, another church, uh, a collection of churches in the region of Galatia. He said, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And then this curious line, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That seems kind of self-serving, doesn't it? That, I thought we were supposed to serve outsiders as the priority. But the Apostle Paul and Jesus understood that how we treat each other is in and of itself a witness to a watching world. You don't want people to say, well, sure, they do really great things in the world, but man, they treat each other pretty crummy, right? This is what, uh, this is what the Bible says uh, as what Jesus said in John 13, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples by what? Not, not, not by the great things we do in the world, not by the impact that we have, but if you love one another, if you love one another. Yeah, um, uh, that's how this, uh, people will know we are the disciples of Jesus. And you know, this phrase, one another, uh, you know, was used by Jesus and the Apostle Paul in the New Testament a lot, right? Love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, accept one another. And in today's passage, we're looking at the Apostle Paul teaching this church of imperfect people how to be the body of Christ in their time and place. And you heard read this morning, uh, this is how our passage began, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. This is really important. To every single follower of Christ, to every single believer, there is given a gift, an ability, a talent, and it is given for the common good. In other words, it is given for the good of the community of faith. It is given for the, the church. And some translations just say the gift is given for the good of the church. Now, of course, your God-given gifts can be used to advance your career or to advance uh, your reputation or to be, they can be used and offered to your homeowners association, but your gifts ought not be neglected inside the church. In fact, the reason God gave you your gift is primarily so that the church of Jesus can be strong and effective. So I want to take a few minutes this morning to give you a brief primer on spiritual gifts. Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant. This is really, really important. And what Paul teaches right here in 1 Corinthians 12 is absolutely essential for the church to be the church. When a church operates according to spiritual gifts, that church is effective and strong. And when a church gets fuzzy about this, when a church flounders, when a church fails to release the gifts of its members, that church loses its effectiveness, its power, and its witness. This really is that important. 
Now, this will be new to some of you, but for a lot of you, this will be a review of things you learned a long time ago, but foundational truths we need to return to again and again and again. So allow me five minutes to do a quick fly-by overview of spiritual gifts, an introduction, a primer, if you will, five-minute review, and then we'll move on. Uh, ready, set, go. What is a spiritual gift? Spiritual gifts are special abilities given by the Holy Spirit to every believer to be used in ministering to others, therefore building up the body of Christ. Where do we read about spiritual gifts? Here are some of the passages that uh, talk about spiritual gifts. Today we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12, but these are other passages, and all of these are listed in the sermon notes section. You can find that in the Ward Church app. This is all in there uh, for you. What are some examples of spiritual gifts? Each place that Paul lists gifts, uh, there's no, they're, they're not identical listings. I think Paul is speaking more illustratively than exhaustively. In the Bible, there is no exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. But here are some of the examples that the Bible talks about. The spiritual gift of administration, of apostleship. That's the ability to start new ministries and new works, craftsmanship, discernment, encouragement, faith, healing, helps, hospitality, leadership, mercy, miracles, prophecy, shepherding, teaching, tongues, wisdom, evangelism. These are examples of some of the spiritual gifts that are represented right in this room. People have been given a gift. How do you know which gift you have? Largely, you know by trying some things and getting some feedback. So when a church operates by spiritual gifts, especially with young people, uh, we, we would say, wow, I, I saw you, and you might have the spiritual gift of teaching. I think God's given you a gift. Uh, likewise, when that person sings in your class or group, you know, we would say to them, you know, let's work to find your gift, because that might not have been it. You know, you're gifted somewhere. Um, that would be a church operating. You've, you've, you try some things and you see how it goes. But sometimes it's helpful to take a spiritual gifts test or assessment. Some of you have done this. They can be kind of fun. Here's one that I'll recommend today. It's at placeministries.org. This is 60 questions you do online. It's free because being cheap is one of my spiritual gifts. And... Uh, it's kind of fun to take it and can tell you maybe what your spiritual gifts might be. Okay, quick review on spiritual gifts, kind of a fill-in-the-blank quiz. And question number one is this. Every Christian has at least how many gifts? One. Everyone has at least one spiritual gift. If you don't think you have a gift, it's just because you haven't uh, discovered it yet. Right? This is what Paul said to that church at Corinth. He said, I wish all of you were as I am, that you had the gifts that I have, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Every believer has at least one gift. Question number two, no one receives all the gifts. If you think you have all the gifts, you are equally deluded. No one gets all the gifts. What Paul said to that church in Corinth in chapter 12 he said this, are all apostles? And the implied answer here is no. Not everyone's a, a, apostles. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do, do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. No one has all the gifts. Question number three. The blank decides what gifts I get. Who decides what gifts I get? Paul said... 
The Holy Spirit decides what gifts I get. You do not get to decide which gifts you get. Isn't that frustrating? Sometimes I covet the gifts of other people, but you and I don't get to decide what gifts we get. It's from the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul said here again, same church in Corinth. He said, all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he, the Holy Spirit, distributes them to each one just as he determines. The Holy Spirit decides what gifts you and I get. And the next question is this. I am to blank the gifts God gives me? I heard use, great answer. Not the one I was thinking of. Share, yep, I I am to develop the gifts God gives me. God gives you a gift, but you can grow it, develop it, hone it. I was at an online seminar two weeks ago on how to be a better preacher. And some of you are thinking about now you should get your money back because that didn't do much. Right, God gives a gift, and we hone it and develop it, right? This is what uh, Paul said to his young protege, Timothy. He said to this young man, do not neglect your gift. Don't neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Yes, the gift was given to you. Now, don't neglect it. Use it. Develop it. Hone it. Get better at it. And the last uh, uh, question we'll look at today, five, using my gifts blank and blank. Using my gifts blank and blank. Using my gifts glorifies God, I heard it, thank you, and grows me. Using your gift is good for you and it glorifies the God who gave you your gift, right? This is what Jesus himself said in John 15, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. All right, here ends the overview on spiritual gifts. Uh, Here ends the primer, the overview. And the time that remains, I want to talk about why all of this matters and what a difference it could make. Many years ago, here at Ward Church, we taught a, a class on spiritual gifts called the Network Class. And in that class, we told the story of Pastor Bob. Pastor Bob is the somewhat fictitious pastor who leads a church in any town USA. And Pastor Bob, each August, faced what he called the August Recruitment Wars. This happens at every church. As you enter a new fall season, you have all these slots that have to be filled. And every year, Pastor Bob faces this. But this year, Pastor Bob is pumped up. He's listened to motivational tapes. He's done extra push-ups. He's ready for August. And this particular year, he, he puts big sheets of paper on the back of the sanctuary wall with all the volunteer slots that have to be filled, whether it's guest services or music or children's ministry. And, uh, and the first Sunday in August, Pastor Bob gets up and he gives a sermon called, Whatever Happened to Commitment? And he just beats the commitment drum. And he says, what it means to be committed is to go to the back wall after the service and put your name in one of those slots. And some people do that. Second week in August, Pastor Bob gets up and he preaches about those passages that say, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And he says, look, being a Christian isn't always fun. Sometimes you got to pick up your cross and do things you don't want to do. And part of what it means to pick up your cross 
is to go to the back of the room after the service and put your name in one of those slots, and some more people do. The third week in August, Pastor Bob gets up. He doesn't give a sermon. He just reads from Fox's Book of the Martyrs, stories about people through the ages who've been killed, martyred because of their witness to Jesus Christ. And at the end, he says, look, I'm not asking you to be killed. I'm not asking you to be martyred. What I'm asking you to do is go to the back of the room and sign up to teach fourth grade Sunday school. And a few people go and fill it up. The last week in August, the finale of the series, Pastor Bob pulls out all stops, and he brings up little fourth grade Janie on the platform with him. And he says, isn't it true, Janie, it's going to be kind of lonely down there in fourth grade Sunday school without a teacher now, isn't it? And Janie says, well, I guess that's true, uh, Pastor Bob. And isn't it true, Janie, that kids your age without proper adult influence, that they're the ones that end up addicted to drugs and alcohol? And Janie says, I, I don't know. And, and finally, there's one guy in the congregation, business guy's been sitting there the whole series. He, he breaks at that point and says, I'll do it. I will teach fourth grade Sunday school. I don't, yes, that's what he said. He was like, what? <laughs> I don't, I, I, he says, I don't, I, I, I can't teach and I, I, I don't like kids. Um, but when I heard that little Janie was going to end up addicted to drugs and alcohol, I just thought, well, you know what happened? He signs up, and he gets to the classroom, and he discovers he, he can't teach, and he doesn't like kids. And little Janie's wondering if it wouldn't have been better to be in the classroom all by herself. And that guy who volunteered, he's, he's marking the days. He made a commitment, but he's crossing the Sundays off in his calendar. And he's vowing at the end of this year, I will never sign up. I don't care how many sermons Pastor Bob preaches about commitment. I don't care how many chapters he reads from Fox's Book of the Martyrs. I don't care if he martyrs my wife. I am never signing up for anything ever again. And that's a church that fills slots. And then I think, imagine a church where the teachers taught. And people with the gift of hospitality welcomed people in. And people with the spiritual gift of mercy took care of the hurting and the broken. And those with the gift of administration kept us all organized and going. Imagine everybody utilizing their spiritual gifts. And we don't have to imagine that, friends. That church did exist. A lot of you know that for the first 300 years of Christianity, the church had no buildings and no employees. There were some exceptions to that, but for the most part, the early church operated simply by the giftedness of those who were part of that local congregation. Now, at the risk of sounding like Pastor Bob, I do want to encourage you to use your spiritual gift inside the body of Christ. And I acknowledge that People use their gift in formal and informal ways. By formal ways, I'm talking about, you know, hundreds of volunteer positions on dozens of teams, many that you've never even heard of, formal volunteer opportunities. But then there are informal ways. I'm thinking of a woman in our church who, on a regular basis, writes me encouraging handwritten notes. And I've learned she does this for many of the members of our staff. She has the spiritual gift of encouragement, and she uses that gift through notes and through words. Does that count? You bet that counts. I'm thinking of a guy in our church who mentors and builds into young men. He doesn't appear in anyone's volunteer roster, but they find each other, and they have coffee and breakfast, and he's building into these young fathers. Does that count? You bet that counts. I'm thinking of a couple in our church that has a heart for newcomers, 
and they're opening up their home and inviting people in, the gift of hospitality on full display. Does it count? You bet it counts. So whether you serve with your spiritual gift in formal or informal ways, you will be blessed and the church of Jesus will be strengthened. There are certain thrills that only people who use their spiritual gift know. There are certain thrills that you only know when you're using your spiritual gift. I'll mention just two. There's the thrill of seeing God work through you. When you serve in your area of spiritual giftedness, you make yourself available for God to work through you in supernatural ways. A lot of you know this. You have those moments where you do something that you know you could not have done. And you know it was God who worked through you. And it's exhilarating. It's thrilling to have that feeling. People often think they're not qualified to have God work through them. People say, I'm not spiritual enough to have God work through me. And if you read about the kind of people through whom God worked in the Bible, uh, Rick Warren writes about this in his classic foundational book, The Purpose Driven Life. He writes this about these people. He says, Abraham was old, Jacob was insecure, Leah was unattractive, Joseph was abused, Moses stuttered, Gideon was poor, Samson was codependent, Rahab was immoral, David had an affair and all kinds of family problems. Elijah was suicidal, Jeremiah was depressed, Jonah was reluctant, Naomi was a widow, John the Baptist was eccentric to say the least. Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered, Martha worried a lot, the Samaritan woman had several failed marriages, Zacchaeus was unpopular, Thomas had doubts, Paul had poor health, and Timothy was timid. That's quite a variety of misfits, he says. But God used each of them in his service. And he will use you too if you stop making excuses. Anybody in the Bible could have said no to making themselves available for God to work through. And think of what they would have missed. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. He says, a ruthless honesty will always leave us shattered by our inadequacy for God's work. But this is not about what you or I can do. This is not about what you or I can do. We feel inadequate because we are inadequate. And notice how the Apostle Paul keeps bringing this back to God in his letter to the church at Corinth. The Apostle Paul uh, wrote this in the same chapter. Again, different kind of gifts, keeps drawing it back, but the same spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. This is not about what you and I can do. This is about what God can do through us. And then secondly, it's not just the thrill of, of having God work through you, but there's the thrill of, being, uh, of seeing God work through his church. The thrill of being part of something larger than yourself. And in the same chapter, we didn't, we didn't get this far in our reading today, but this is the same chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul says this famous line, now you are the body of Christ and each of you is a part of it. And then he launches into his favorite metaphor of the church. The church is like a body. 
and some people are an arm, and some people are a leg, and some people are an eye, and the Apostle Paul worked this metaphor for all it was worth, and when every body does their part, when every body part functions according to this design, that body moves forward with strength and purpose and effectiveness. It's a great metaphor, because even Paul said this, let's be honest, there are some parts of the body we're not actually sure what they do, right? And churches have those people too. And then sometimes part of the body gets injured and it's got to take a break for a while. And other parts of the body compensate for it. This is a fantastic metaphor. I told you a few weeks ago that my wife had an accident on an electric scooter and she broke her shoulder, her elbow, and her ego. And she's healing up very well. Um, thank you for that. Uh, and initially, she was unable to use both arms. It turns out you use your arms for lots, lots of things. And she's already volunteering back at the preschool check-in desk and kids' ministry. She's a lady you've seen pointing with her head, right? Uh, uh, we'll take your kid down there and check in with the teacher and please sign in before you, before you go. And she just, she, now one arm's out of a sling. She's got use of one arm back. It's very freeing. Uh, and I think a lot of, I feel like a lot of churches in America are operating without an arm or without a leg. And their ministry in the world is curtailed. And the reason this is a problem is because the world needs the mission of Jesus right now. The world needs the compassion, healing, restoration, grace, truth, and hope of Jesus. The church needs to be healthy and strong and effective. We have work to do in our world. We need everyone. It's so important to get this right. This is fundamental to the nature of the church. The church that Jesus came to form was not a church of service attendees. It was a community of servants yielding their spiritual gifts for the building of the kingdom of God. Now, some of you are using your spiritual gifts in formal or informal ways on a regular basis, and I hope you feel the delight of your Father in heaven, and thank you for serving. Some of you are tired or you're healing right now, Take the time that you need. Some of you are still investigating the claims of Christianity. Keep seeking God. But some of you have been committed to Christ, but you've been kind of on the fence when it comes to the body of Christ. And it's time to find your place in the body. Our staff is inviting you to shadow a volunteer role. That means you have a no-commitment opportunity to observe, to shadow someone who's in that role right now. You can check it out, ask questions, try it on before you actually commit to give it a go. And there are weekly and monthly opportunities. Uh, many ward folks have a, a Sunday morning rhythm of attend one, serve one. Attend one, serve one. We have two Sunday services, and they pick one service to attend and another service to serve. Serve and attend, attend and serve. A lot of our members have that weekly rhythm. Uh, many other members have, have, uh, uh, are part of a team that serves once a month. 
But regardless of how often you serve or where you serve in the church, you can get started by signing up for a shadow opportunity, a shadow opportunity. You can find these online. If you're in the building today, you can go to the Connection Center and there's ministry representatives if you want a more personal uh, uh, experience to explore some possibilities for you. And and, uh, let me give a disclaimer here. I I want you to hear this. Serving is not about trying to get God to love you more. Please hear this. God already loves you fully. There is nothing you can do that will make God love you more or less than he does right now. You are fully loved by God. This is not about trying to get God to love us or or, uh, uh, to think about us differently. This is about modeling God's love to each other and to the world. What might happen, what might happen if every person that's part of our church, of any church, made their gifts available for kingdom use in the church, do you have any idea what we could accomplish? The spiritual gifts that God has lavished on this congregation are almost frightening. If we could mobilize those and steward those, there is nothing that we could not accomplish under the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me from wherever you are? Heavenly Father, in in our hearts, we desire to serve and to give, and yet the world seems to pull us in another direction. We want to be more like the one we follow, who came not to be served, but to serve, and who went to the cross and died for us. So God, help everyone to know the joy of a life spent serving you. May our church and may every church be healthy and strong and ready to move as your body for each other and for this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.